Welcome back. Welcome back to Prosecco Theory, everybody. Thank you for joining us again. We have a guest today who I feel like I should introduce. Yes, please do. I will explain my connection to him at some point. So our guest is Michael Israel. Israel, is that how you say it? Like the country, yeah. Israel. Okay. He is a real estate agent with Keller Williams. So you are in a pretty hot market right now being in Seattle, Washington, where homes sell for a gazillion dollars. What you could buy a mansion and a private island for somewhere else. You can buy a nice three bedroom, one and a half bath home in Seattle. With a fence that needs to be replaced. Right. Yes. So before we go down that rabbit hole, Michael, welcome. Thank you. I appreciate it. So why don't you tell us how you got into the real estate field and what made you decide you wanted to become an agent? Well, yeah. So first of all, um, again, thanks a lot for the opportunity. I appreciate being asked to join your podcast. I got into real estate actually fresh out of college back in like the early 90s and did that for just about a year or so. Sure, you want to put that data marker there? <laughs> I graduated college when I was seven, though. So, oh, perfect. Oh, yeah, I was quite advanced. I forgot that you were a genius. <laughs> we talked about that. Right. I was supposed to mention it. Should I disclose my IQ now or is that coming later? Ooh, save it so we can wow them with it later. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, so, I sold real estate for John L. Scott back in the early 90s, specializing in North Seattle, Northeast Seattle. Uh, I'm a Seattle native myself. And found after about a year or so at the age of 24 or so that I really did need a steady paycheck. And so got out of it, worked in corporate for 25 years or so, and then had the opportunity a couple of years ago to get back into it, but with a solid foundation and and all of the experience that I built up over that time and got back into it because I love the work. It's a great fit for my skill sets, the kinds of things that I enjoy doing. And so that's how I got into it or back into it. Was it interesting for you to get back in during a time when the market was so crazy? Or was it like riding a bike? You know, the key functions are pretty much the same. Obviously, the technology is vastly different. The tools are different. You know, I remember from the early 90s, just simple things like, you know, carrying a Thomas guide in the back of my car. (laughs) What the hell is that? What's a Thomas guide? (laughs) It's a whole book of MapQuest directions. (laughs) It's like a little baby atlas. Exactly. Oh, how quaint. Yeah, right. And, you know, I wore a pager. I was not a drug dealer nor a doctor, but I wore a pager. So it felt really important. If I had a pager at seven, I would have been paging people boobies you all day long. <laughs> you can either get heroin or a nice split level from that man. <laughs> yeah, that's right. In truth, I wasn't seven when I graduated oh, from college. Damn it. But oh, no, I, I have a few years on both of you put together. Put together? You, you don't look it, I will say. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you. So, yeah, I mean, the tools are different. The technology is different. You know, the legal forms change over time. And so, you know, some differences there. But, you know, a lot of the fundamentals are pretty much the same. And um, Megan, how is it that you know Michael? Michael and I have been friends for a long time now. (laughs) I think I'm the longest, longest client he's probably ever had. (laughs) That is actually not true. No? Really? Wow. Well, I got to be up there. Yes. If we're talking about homes, tour offers written and submitted, 
It may be close, but if we're just talking about sheer timeline, the answer is no. I do have a, a young couple that I've been working with since August. Oh, wow. We've only written a couple of offers, but their timeline is a little different. Kind of sense of urgency is different, but yeah, you're not my longest term plan. Okay. It only feels that way. <laughs> just to clarify, Megan, are you trying to buy the heroin or the split level? Well... I'm trying to buy, well, not necessarily a split level, a house. Mm. And if I don't get one soon, I'm probably going to go try to buy some heroin because <laughs> Michael has been my real estate agent and he has worked his ass off. I feel so bad for you. I keep telling him, if you want to fire me, I understand. <laughs> but we have looked at so many houses together. He has written eight offers for me now. Yep. And we're not being cheap here. Okay. No. We are coming in with realistic offers well over the asking price. And I just get my ass kicked every time. And it's really hard. I told him that I'm not used to losing this much. Right. And so I very much appreciate you and all the effort that you've put in, but I'm sure you cannot wait to get rid of me. <laughs> I don't look at it that way at all. I cannot wait until I have the excitement and the pleasure of calling you and saying you're under contract. Hell yeah. That'll be a nice day. Which could be this week. I'm hopeful. That's right. We're going to knock on all the wood. We usually give it a go at least once a week. Right. <laughs> kind of follow that pattern. I mean, consider the fact he's written eight offers for me. So that should tell you how long we've been working together. Right. And I think most people know that the market is insane right now. But if you're not in the market for a house or paying much attention, you might not know just how crazy it is. Yeah. How many offers did that one house get the other day? Like 49 or so? it was in the news. 45. 45. In the news. Yeah. So there was a house. house for sale in Puyallup, which is a suburb south of Seattle. And there was a Seattle Times article that said one house, 45 offers. That's what the Fucking market crazy. is like here. And it's not just a situation where you just come in and you put in an offer and they have 45 and then they just look and see what's, you know, the top dollar. It's like you have an offer, but then you have an escalation clause and then some people have cash and then some people have waived contingencies. And so not only does the seller's agent have to shuffle through all these offers and try to figure out with the seller what is the best offer for them. But also there's so much strategy that goes into putting in an offer. That's all very true. And of all the different elements to an offer, and there are many, you know, everybody would pretty much assume that, well, the main thing is going to be the price. Are you going to offer the highest escalation of all 10 or 12 or 18, however many there are? 45. 45, yeah. And and if you do, I mean, it'll just come down to that, right? And maybe, but you know, there are all kinds of other factors too. Like if you think about it from the standpoint of the seller and what they would be looking for, that answers the question of what all those factors are. How quickly is your offer set to close? What's the method of financing? Is there a mortgage that you're taking out or are you paying cash? What are the chances to the seller that the deal is actually going to close on time and, and all of that? It's certainly conceivable when you're talking about multiple offers, as many as 45. Personally, I haven't been in a situation with that many, but uh, 25 is the most that I've... We're still working together, so... <laughs> yeah. Still working, that's right, you know, yeah. There's still time. There's still time. <laughs> there is time, that's right. It could happen this week, for all we yeah. know. <laughs> oh, God. Michael's like, please, God, let it happen this week. <laughs> as long as yours is the winning offer, I don't care how many others there are. <laughs> Perfect. 
Well, and for people who don't operate in our corner of the world, we should probably explain to them what the process is like in a hot market like this. When you go to see a house, what are all the things that the seller has done to prepare to sell the house quickly? What's normally there for you? Yeah. So so actually one of the things that's becoming somewhat of a new development in this market is that more of the houses that we've seen than not have a seller procured inspection and sewer scope. And the fun thing about the sewer scope is that they're YouTube videos that you can share with friends. <laughs> That's sexy stuff. It is. We have some friends who are dealing with awful sewer issues and have already extolled the virtues of the sewer scope. Yeah, they, they didn't have a sewer scope before they bought their house and now they're replacing and relocating their entire sewer line. Oh, wow. And this issue came up about a month after they bought their house. Just so. such a pain in the whole yeah. ass. Oh. Yeah. But in addition to the inspection and the scope, they've usually had the title work run, right? And then they have all their disclosures. Right? Yeah, all their uh, seller disclosure, you know, disclosing the things that they know about the house. If a seller has had an inspection ordered already, then in theory, they know more about the house than an an average seller would know. But that's all typically provided, not 100% of the time, but frequently. And basically what it does is kind of puts all of the potential buyers in a position to submit an offer, thereby creating a bigger pool and more competition. It also, you know, saves a potential buyer a few hundred dollars of doing their own pre-inspection but it also saves the house from being tied up for two to three hours while one buyer is doing that inspection. So, I mean, it's a really effective strategy and, and we're seeing that a lot, as you know. Yeah, I mean, if they have that inspection there, they expect, especially in this market, that you will waive that contingency, that you will not require an inspection before purchasing the home. Yep. And if you are going to require one, or if you see something in the inspection you're going to ask them to fix, you might as well not even write an offer. That's right. Because somebody else will waive their inspection contingency yep. and just say, I'm going to assume the expense of fixing this because that's how I'm going to win this house. Exactly. So it's not like a normal market where you can go in, say, I like it. I'm going to offer you something, you know, maybe it's not your full ask. And I'm going to make it contingent on inspection and I'm going to make it contingent on financing. Like that used to be normal. Yep. Now, no, you can't have any of those contingencies or you might as well just not even write it up. Well, and also, am I right that typically in a normal market, it wouldn't be that every single house has an offer review date. Like they just sort of have the offers come in when they come in. That's right. But right now, every single house, it goes on the market and within a week, there's an offer review date and they've got at least 10 pieces of paper in front of them. And it's so fast. Another thing we've seen is the early offer Mm -hmm. where somebody basically says, I'm going to disregard that offer review date and try to knock your socks off with an offer so that you just say, wow, it's not going to get better than this and I'm going to take it. And then you basically eliminate the competition. I have lost houses that way. I have tried to be that person with the early offers. It has not worked for me. (laughs) I'm curious about that actually. And Michael, maybe you can speak to this a little bit because you've lost the houses to that and you've tried to do it and it didn't work out. In my mind, if they get such a good offer before their offer review date, wouldn't that say to them, I've got something here. And if this is coming in early, what the hell am I going to see three days from now? Totally. That just happened. I put in a very aggressive offer on a house on Friday, or Michael put it in for me. Let's be real about who's doing the work here. (laughs) They didn't accept it, presumably because they are confident that they are going to get similar offers on their offer review date Tuesday. But they're also taking the risk that when their offers do come in and they have escalation clauses, 
they don't escalate as high as what I offered with that early offer. So then they could be leaving money on the table. So that's strategy for the seller too. Like, do I want to roll the dice? I mean, I have seen stuff come on the market and then it's off one day later Mm -hmm. because people just took an early offer. So... Yeah, as you know, I mean, there have been a couple of examples of that where houses that you were interested in that we were prepared to write an offer on where they were offer view dates and knowing that there's the possibility that somebody could come in with an early offer. I'm careful to communicate with the listing agent saying, hey, I am working with a buyer who's interested in writing an offer. If you get anything early, let me know and we'll put something together. Which you would think that, that a listing agent would do because it's in the best interest of their seller. But twice now, that actually hasn't happened that way. The uh, seller has accepted an early offer without the agent having communicated with me and whatever other agents there are with buyers that would have done the same. And then, of course, we've tried it on your behalf a couple of times, the early offer. And unfortunately, the seller has kind of stuck to their plan. One never knows what the seller, with the guidance of the listing agent, is going to decide to do. But yeah, as the data shows the way that the market has been and with the benefit of that data to reflect that listing agents and sellers have been extremely confident about what they're going to see at the time of their offer of view date. You know, you'd think an offer of 20% over list should be enough to just kind of knock the seller's socks off and make them think, oh my God, I'm just going to take this. Which I've given, by the way. (laughs) Yes. You would think that would do it, but yeah, I I mean, some sellers have decided that, you know what, I'm going to take my chances and wait a few days and see what else comes in. So is this area, I'm looking in the Northeast Seattle area. And what I understand from you is that this area might even be a little more challenging when you're considering Seattle Metro. Is that accurate? Yeah. Just to throw some numbers out, not to bore your listeners with too many numbers, but yeah, the area that you're looking at specifically on average, we're talking about March month to date. So really current data the sale to list price ratio is 11.5% over. So escalating 11.5%, again, that's average. So average. Yeah, you've seen higher than that. There's only one other zip code or area of Seattle, which is kind of around Ballard, a little bit north of Ballard, that's got a higher average escalation, which is just under 13%. But yeah, unfortunately, that is, you know, the area that you're looking at happens to be one of the hottest just in terms of the escalation. It's too bad that I won't let you leave our area. I won't let you leave. I think there's, I mean, I'm just speculating because I don't know, but I think there's a school component that the schools are highly rated around this area. And there's just way more buyers than there are houses. So that inventory has been low. I mean, how long about would you guess has the inventory been such that there are more buyers than there are houses? A balanced market is considered to be like four months of inventory, where if it's less inventory than that, it's considered to be a seller's market and you know more would be a buyer. I mean, it really hasn't been a balanced market for several years. It really has been a seller's market just from that definition alone for quite some time, not just in the last year or so. But there's no question that the last year has been really hot from the standpoint of low inventory and year-over-year sales being way up. Are you surprised that given COVID, job loss and instability in the economy in general, that the real estate market has still been so crazy hot? Yes and no. 
Just prior to the shutdown here, which officially in Washington State, it was like March 25th last year. One year ago. Yeah. But just prior to that, you know, we're talking like January, February, and then the first part of March of 2020 was really hot. The real estate market here was really hot. And then, and then of course, there was the shutdown. And so things were frozen for a couple of days, but then opened back up with limited activity because of COVID safe restrictions and whatnot that lasted, you know, end of March and then into April a little bit. But really, the market rebounded pretty quickly in May. And from May all the way to to right now, it's been pretty brisk. And even with kind of typical fall downturns, 2020 was still hotter than previous years. Do you think that's the function of the interest rates? Yeah, the interest rates are at historic lows. And it sounds like a cliche, but there's no question. I mean, if you're talking about an interest rate under 3%. I mean, that's what motivated me to start looking. Yeah, right. You know, I mean, I think the first interest rate that I paid on the first place that I bought was, I think it was like 10% or so. Uh, And again, I guess I'm aging myself, but (laughs) I remember getting excited at an interest rate of like 7%. Wow. But your house was probably a lot cheaper. (laughs) Uh, Well, let's see. (laughs) Yes. As a matter of fact, that was a house at 97th and Roosevelt in the Maple Leaf neighborhood. (laughs) That was... I know it well. Not too far from us. Yes, that's right. If you want to know, it was a 23... 300 square foot, three bedroom, one and three quarter bath house. I think we bought it for like 152 and change, something like that. (laughs) Wow. Wow. In in 93. I've escalated higher than that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you have. Yes, you have. So there's no question. The interest rates are so low. And in terms of COVID and, and the economy, look, the reality is that you know, our economy around here is so heavily influenced by tech mm-hmm. and tech is doing great. Thank you very much during COVID. <laughs> and if you work for one of the tech companies, and I have to say quite a bit of my clientele happens to come from that space, you know, you've been working and you've been working from home and there's been no interruption at all in income. And in all likelihood, you've seen increases in your assets because of restricted stock units, things like that. So we've been pretty fortunate in this area for those reasons. I wanted to talk a little bit about the emotional aspect of selling, buying a house and Like I know, Michelle, you've owned your house for a long time now, but when you were first looking, Mm -hmm. the market was hot then too. I know you said it was like your third choice or something, but you had an emotional attachment to a house that you didn't get. Yes. Well, this may shock everyone, but what I do when (laughs) when I find something I like is plan my whole life in it. (laughs) <laughs> so you're like a Sims character. Isn't that the uh, game? Yeah. Like you like yes. you just like plan your oh life my God. in your home and yeah. your job. Okay. The house I'm in now, I've been in for almost 18 years. And it was the third house we put an offer on back in 2003, which seems like 8 billion years ago. I kind of hate all my friends that bought houses around that time because their houses have doubled, almost tripled in value. But but I mean, I still love you too. You better. Um, (laughs) You just said that you hate her. She's used to her. We have a love-hate relationship. It's fine. I see. Like any old married couple, you know? That's (laughs) right. Okay. (laughs) So yeah, it was the third house we put an offer on. And the second house that we put an offer in on, I didn't fall in love with it, but I did plan things. Well, you don't want to put an offer on a house that you're like, meh, it's okay. Well, sure. Yeah. But you also want to be realistic too. 
So, and again, hard. it was so long ago. I was a child, seven or eight. You and Michael, I was seven years old when you guys started your lives. I was seven. <laughs> I don't think you're allowed to sign a, a purchase contract at seven. <laughs> well, you know, I'm very mature. They didn't know. It's fine. Um, <laughs> I had this whole like bar planned out. I drew a little floor plan for the thing I was going to mm-hmm. make in the basement and turn this room into a cool space. You know, I do that kind of shit. I get ahead of myself that way. And then when you lose you it, don't say, I, what? Me? <laughs> Never. But yeah, and we did a love letter on that one. Oh, Um, wait. Speaking of appealing to emotion, that's a way to try to appeal to the seller's emotion or tap into their emotion so that they'll give you maybe a leg up. So Michael, can you explain what a love letter is? Yes. um, A love letter is a personally written letter from the buyer to the seller that really describes the fact that you love their house and why you love their house, which for, you know, a lot of sellers is meaningful. And if you find yourself in kind of close competition with another buyer and you've got that love letter, a lot of sellers will be swayed by that because they'll want to know if they've got an emotional connection to a house, they'll want to know that it's being sold to somebody who has a similar connection to it. Who's going to take care of it. And yeah, I always think about, especially in our area, let's say you had two offers that were pretty close together and the higher offer was maybe a developer who's going to knock the house down and build condos there or something. And the lower offer is close, but it's a family who's written a love letter who says, Mm -hmm. we love your house. We're going to maintain it and keep it as is. I mean, if you've put a lot of your own like blood, sweat and tears into that home and you don't want to just see it knocked down because you'll get an extra five grand or whatever that could sway. Or maybe you could even go back to the other person and say, hey, I want to sell it to you, but I have this offer that's 5,000 higher. Can you go up? I was in a situation like that where we didn't have a lot of offers. And I wrote a love letter. I don't know if the other person did or if they did what it said, but it's really close to my house now. So talking about how like entrenched we are in the community and it was really close and it didn't give me the sway. Like they didn't contact me and say, Hey, would you be willing to come up? But that's the thing is there's no rules. It's just like a war out there. Yeah. Well, and ours, the one that we submitted with that offer back then was really stupid because, (laughs) because (laughs) so our agent was an old family friend of my grandparents. You know, we didn't know anybody and it was like a family thing and whatever. So she, I guess was a good friend to my grandpa and I think was terrible at her job. And um, my grandfather was a classical musician and was fairly well known in Seattle. She found out that the seller was a violinist or something. And so she was like, well, we have to tell them who your grandpa is. That's going to make all the difference. (laughs) Wait, did you put that in your love letter? Yes. That's what I'm saying. It was really dumb. I know. (laughs) Anything's worth a shot. Again, (laughs) I was a child and she was the expert. I don't know. We, this house was priced at a spot where given everything else we'd seen, I knew that what they were doing was getting more people in the door to look at it and it was going to go for way more. And maybe she was used to a different level in the market or something, but she just had no clue. And I felt like I knew more than her about the situation. And the whole thing was a cluster, but we did eventually get our house. And then when we were at closing, signing all the paperwork, she was just taking photos with a disposable camera to hand to me. She did not. It was 
so bizarre. Anyway, that's my story. So Michelle, this was house number one or two of the three that you made offers on? Two, yeah. Do you know how many other offers there were in in the first two attempts? I have no idea. It's possible I knew then, but a long time ago and I'm drinking, so. (laughs) (laughs) To be clear, Michael is not. He's remaining completely professional. So professional with his water. I'm drinking water. Michael, so I'm not like a super outwardly emotional person. And I know that a couple of the houses that I've lost kind of felt like a gut punch, like, oh God. And I definitely whine to you like, I can't keep doing this. And then the next day I'm like, I see more houses I want to look at. So it's (laughs) like dating. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Just like dating. (laughs) There's definitely emotion on the buyer's side too. And I'm just curious if you ever had anyone lose it on you, like sobbing Because I feel like every time I get an offer that's not accepted, we have a mini therapy session where you're like, (laughs) and I'm unqualified, believe me. Here's what I know about the offer they took. (laughs) If it makes you feel better, you know, you say all these things to try to keep my hope alive and keep my spirits up. So it's become this routine where like we submit an offer. I don't get it. Michael calls me. We have a therapy session and then we go out and do it again the next week after looking at a bunch more houses. Glutton for punishment. (laughs) This is why I think he's probably ready to get rid of me. But have you ever had anyone just like with a hugely emotional reaction? No, I I haven't had somebody that's had hugely emotional reaction. I mean, I've definitely dealt with some pretty deep disappointment. I had one client, the greatest number of offers that I've competed with or that a client of mine has competed against has been 25. That's still just insane. Yeah, no, it's ridiculous. I mean, when you think about an agent telling you your client's offer was in the top third, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, there were certain elements to the house that just really hit on a very personal level for him. And so he was, you know, he was pretty disappointed, but I haven't really dealt with somebody kind of losing it. What I have dealt with though, is clients that have gotten really discouraged and kind of stepped away for a few weeks (laughs) to the point where they just weren't interested in seeing anything else. You know, they had to kind of regroup, regroup exactly. And get their minds back into it. I'd say that's probably the worst that I've seen. I have a question. Have you ever been representing multiple buyers at the same time that loved the same house and had to deal with that? Hasn't happened yet. Okay. Let's see what we can do. Who can we drum up? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I know that Michael has shown me houses that he said, oh, I showed this to another client, but it was already when the clients had decided they didn't want it or something like that. Right. That would be quite a conundrum. Yeah. It was like months prior You know, depending on the circumstance, there could potentially be a conflict of interest. Right. What would it take, Michael? Just curious in that situation. What would it take? What she's asking is, what is your bribe? What is, (laughs) what's your price? (laughs) I think I heard something about $5,000 worth of wine. Is that right? But you know that I'm drinking water, so. But we know that you do drink wine. I do drink wine. I don't know if I'm allowed to say it on a podcast called Prosecco Theory, but I actually prefer red wine. You might edit that part out of it. No, we like red wine too. We do. Okay. In normal years during the winter, I would typically go to reds and then kind of get back to the Prosecco as the weather warmed up. But there's been nothing normal about this last year. So there were no rules. Well, that's true. Yeah. I have a weird story and I'm curious if either of you think this is normal. Back when I was married, 10,000 years ago, (laughs) 
my husband and I bought a house in Colorado and our real estate agent gave us a gift when we bought the house basically a housewarming gift, which I was surprised. And I was like, Oh, you know, that's nice. Ours gave us a bottle of champagne, but this is the weird part. Okay. The gift was a gift certificate to a nice restaurant. So we could go out to dinner with him. With him. And celebrate. With him. Yes. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I met him through family and Maybe stuff. Maybe he wanted but... to be your third. <laughs> Trouble it up. You never know. That's pretty presumptuous. Yeah. It was That's so strange. I feel like what I'm getting is that you guys think it was weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. That actually reminds me. There was a similar kind of a storyline in an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm. <laughs> But yeah, that does seem kind of strange. If the whole premise was you're going to be going to dinner with me. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I really like this restaurant. So did you go? We did. Was it weird? Yes. (laughs) It was. Was it the three of you or or did your agent have a plus one too? Oh, no, it was the three of us. He wanted to be your third. But Michael, I know you way better than I knew him. So if you want to have dinner together when I buy a house to celebrate in six years when I get an offer accepted, I'm looking forward to presenting you with a lovely gift basket that you can enjoy with your family and with Michelle. Aww. Comfort of your new home. With me. She'll share it with me. Yeah. Whoever you choose to enjoy it with. We did discuss one of the houses that Megan liked a lot is on one of those streets in Seattle that has now been closed permanently to be a safe street, right? So it's not open to through traffic. It's only open to local, like if you live there, right? Right. And I was discussing with your daughters how it's okay that I drive on it because I live with you part-time. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> my daughter was glad to hear it's that like as well. I, yeah, it's like another custody arrangement, but yes. you're an adult. <laughs> yeah, but I come and go as I please. <laughs> so speaking of my daughters, that's another interesting emotional component because they're old enough that they want to go with me to look at the houses because they want to plan you know, their put, lives in them like I do. Right. Well, Ugh. yeah. <laughs> But they're two cents in, I was going to yeah. say, but, but they do want to be like, oh, you know, they're fighting over who gets the what room as mm-hmm. we're leaving a house. And I'm like, we haven't even put a freaking offer on this house. Calm down. <laughs> Just like me, they're getting more thick skin in yeah. the beginning when we weren't getting houses that we put offers on, they were really disappointed. And now we put offers in and we sort of assume we're not going to get it. But they'll ask me like, did we get the house? Did we get the house? And I'll be like, no, someone else got it. And they're like, um, okay. What are we doing tonight? You know, they just kind of move What's on for because they're so used to losing now. Oh my God. So. I like what you said about that. You're not used to losing. Like normally if you lose something, you can adjust, you can make changes and then go well, back and win. And to be clear, Michael has been a great coach. Yeah. We've made a lot of adjustments in our strategy and I feel like we keep getting like closer and closer. So but um, there's only so much you can do when you're working in very specific parameters. Yeah. But the thing is that I feel like I'm an educated professional who kind of works in this space. But there is no way I would have been able to navigate this without Michael. I mean, this is like a big Mm -hmm. head game. You have to know what you're doing. You have to have a strategy. I just feel like you can't, especially in this market, just think, I don't need an agent. I'm going to go do this on my own. Like you need an agent and you need an agent who knows what they're doing. Do you feel like, Michael, you kind of know who the players are in the real estate industry? Like, do you recognize certain people? 
like we looked at one house that you said you knew who the listing agent was. Yeah. Because there's so many people that are like, I'm going to become a real estate agent. And then they fall off. There, there are. I mean, there's 20,000 something agents in the Northwest MLS or something. Yeah. I mean, it's a huge number and it's a much smaller number of agents, obviously, that work within the geographic range that you're looking in. Smaller group of agents too, they would probably consider it a full-time profession as opposed to people that just get a license and kind of dabble in it. Without question, there are names that are recognizable because they've been in the business for a very long time. In fact, I think we saw a house yesterday that was listed by an agent whose name I remember from when I was in it in the early 90s. Oh, wow. But no, generally speaking, they're different names. So it's kind of a jungle out there for you, too. Like, you don't know who you're negotiating with. Pretty much, yeah. And the other thing, though, too, is that it's going to come down to... The one thing that I hope for in any situation, of course, is that I'm going to be dealing with an agent, you know, on the other side who is communicative and diligent. And obviously, you know, they're looking out for their client, but at least I know that if they are diligent, then how they're going to go about working for their client will be predictable as opposed to an agent maybe who doesn't communicate very well or maybe cut some corners, which may include cutting corners that could be to the detriment of their own client, in which case I can't predict how they're going to operate. Like the case that we experienced where seller accepted an early offer, you were prepared to write one early, we didn't get communication, that type of thing. I mean, what you said, though, is very true about the strategy is that, you know, we're seeing with the market being as hot and competitive as it is, that buyers are waiving various contingencies that uh, under normal circumstances, a buyer would never really do, you know, like waiving a financing contingency when they're actually going to be obtaining a mortgage. So, yeah, it's, it's pretty fluid. What do you think about... Um... Say somebody moves here from somewhere else and they're not used to the pricing in this market. How do you handle that sticker shock? Because I know like when I'm looking at certain houses and my family or friends who don't live in the Seattle area are like, oh, let me see, like send me a link. I'm like, I don't really want to because you're going to look at the price and be like, what the fuck? (laughs) You know, because I was joking at the beginning of this about how you could buy a private island for the cost of a house in Seattle, but average homes in Seattle are selling for a million bucks right now. And Mm -hmm. I know you and I have looked at some houses together and I look at you and I say, does this look like a million dollar home to you? Not that I'm going to pay a million dollars, but the escalation has been so crazy. Hundreds of thousands over ask that somebody might pay a million dollars for a residential three bedroom, one or two bathroom home that's in a nice neighborhood. Yeah. I mean, how do you address the sticker shock? That's a good question. If you're talking about somebody who is somewhat new to the area, I mean, in that scenario, they are probably renting now. And if they're renting now in this area, then they already know the cost of housing, whether it's buying or renting, is very different than it is in Omaha. (laughs) So for somebody that right now is paying, who knows, $2,000 a month for a little one-bedroom apartment somewhere, and they're trying to manage working from home, and it's a young couple or something along those lines, if they've got a little bit of money saved up for the down payment, You know, their monthly mortgage payment, when you add in all of the costs, are probably not going to be that different than their rent payment. So it's a little easier to think about it from that standpoint that, you know, your housing payment per month is not going to be that different, assuming you've got, you know, something to put down. But yeah, if you look at it from the standpoint of, oh, wow, this is what 700,000 gets me in North Seattle, that's it, (laughs) you know. Then it's tougher. I look at my own house and I'm like, wait, what? Because I've been there so long and I spent way less on it than it's worth now. 
That's no, got to be that part of the worth equation, though. People that are in your exact situation that are selling their house. I mean, I looked at one house that the people had just bought three years prior and they put some work into it, but their listing price was almost double what they paid for it mm-hmm. because three all that years stuff ago. is public record. And I like Oof. had a heart attack. But did I still put an offering on that yep. house? Yes, I did. Did I get it? No, I did not. So, <laughs> <laughs> this is just the reality of the market, though. It is like bananas. You, I joke around and say you got to pay to play because even your down payment, if you're just taking a small percentage of the sales price, yeah. Well, the sale price is so huge that even a small percentage of that it's is a huge. big number. So if you don't have a down payment, you're yeah. fucked. Well, and, you know, being nearby, being adjacent to you going through this process has definitely made me kind of think, hmm, I could get a lot for my house right now. And I've got a fair amount of equity given that I bought it so long ago. And okay, mm-hmm. well, think about it. But then where the hell would I go? Because I would run into the same thing mm-hmm. that you're dealing with right now. Well, you'd probably have a similar house payment to what you have now. You would just be taking all that equity you have and putting it into another home. I mean, depending on how high you want to go. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you're, you're not going to. I just still necessarily... don't want to leave our neighborhood though. So where am I going to get a house? It's you know not going to work out. Right now is not a good time to ask me that That's question. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> so, Michael, can you represent me? I'd like to look at every house that Megan's looking at. <laughs> Michael's probably like, I oh, could not deal with all oh, of you. Shit. <laughs> I, I would be happy to. But wait a minute, though. But you pretty much have seen every house that Megan has looked at. That's true. That's true. That's, That's true. true. Yeah. For the most part. (laughs) I need a second opinion. And since Michelle spent so much time with me, she knows what my taste is. So Michael's had the very fortunate opportunity to spend some time around Michelle as well. That's right. (laughs) Someday you will escape our grasp. (laughs) You know, it's important that we make sure there's room for a little podcasting corner. That's right. Um, and that there's somewhere for me to sleep if I need to crash. Cause like I said, I live there part-time. So. Taking notes, Michael, or this is shit you already know. <laughs> yes. No, I have He's this. I've already fine. logged this in your, uh, in yeah. your uh, contact. <laughs> your file. Yeah. So what is it like for you personally? You know, like you have a girlfriend, I know. Sorry, ladies. I know yes. he has a really nice voice, but he's He attached. does have a nice voice. <laughs> Thank you. You know, how is this on your relationship? Because I know you've been on the phone with me at like 1030 at night. And on a you're Friday. Like, yeah, you're like <laughs> clicking away on your laptop trying to help put my offer together. I mean, is it frustrating or is it hard when you're trying to have a personal life, but you have to be like on all the time in this market and ready to move at any time? My girlfriend has been very supportive and also her job. So she represents a, a makeup brand. And so basically her clientele are retailers. So so she has somewhat of kind of, I guess you could say a retail type of schedule, which actually works out pretty well in terms of coordinating with a you know, real estate schedule. Neither of us has to start particularly early in the morning if, <laughs> if we don't want to. That sounds nice. lovely. But it also means that, you know, weekends usually means working, but we kind of, you know, take time when we can throughout the week. But but no, she's been very supportive. The truth of it is I really do enjoy a lot of the different aspects of the work. And, you know, if I happen to be juggling 
offers for multiple clients kind of around the same time, then, you know, it gets to be a little bit more stressful. But uh, but if I'm able to kind of manage the time and focus on sequencing the work so that I'm really doing my best for each client individually, then then it works out well. And, and uh, it hasn't really been a problem. The one thing that I will say, this without question has been a kind of a realization, particularly as you've talked about, you know, your kids doing school online is I've got two kids, but they're older out of the house. One is 26 and the other is a freshman in college. There's no question though, that if my kids were younger and simply needed and wanted more of my attention and wanted and needed help with online schooling or or homework or whatever, I mean, that would be a problem. There's no question. I mean, fortunately they're, they're older and obviously don't need that help. And oftentimes don't want my attention. So, so we're, <laughs> we're still waiting for that day. Yeah. Lucky you, know, you you've yeah. actually gotten to uh, hear <laughs> all of the stories about online elementary and middle school from Megan's yeah. daughters. I, I actually yeah. going to say that <laughs> when we very first started working together, I think the first like couple houses, I didn't bring my kids. And then I started bringing them because they wanted to come. And one of the things that I really appreciated about working with you is that without me even saying anything, you were asking them, like, what's important to you guys? What do you like about this house? What's your favorite house so far? And that's really cool because they're a big part of the decision for me because it's a house for the three of us. And so if they were being just kind of disregarded, that would be hard because sometimes I get caught up in my own like mental thinking about stuff and I forget to ask them. And then you ask them and I'm like, oh, good job, Michael. Thanks for asking them. And you know, <laughs> they talk your ear off. So clearly they like you and they're comfortable with you, but I'm glad that's pretty important to me. So just kind of thinking about how it must be from from their perspective. I grew up in a house that my parents bought. I'm the youngest of three, and my parents bought the house just before I was born because they needed, you know, expanding family and needed a larger house. And they owned that house for God, over 50 years or so. so. So I mean, I I've never been in a position that your daughters are in, having a parent or parents that are in the process of trying to move. You know, and I can only imagine what that must feel like excitement and certain amount of stress and things like that. So, no, I'm glad that they're involved in the process. Should I add them to the DocuSign? <laughs> yeah, yeah, only if they give you money. Yeah, only yeah. only if it's got like a TikTok link, oh, then they'll God. be interested. But Jesus. No. I mean, they did ask me the other day because I looked at a house with you without them just a couple of days ago that was right next to a school and it's not their school. So they were like, oh, would we have to change schools? Like they were a little stressed about it. And I said, no, that wouldn't be required. And so then they were relieved by that. I just do think that people in your role sometimes disregard children because they're not the decision makers without realizing that they're a big component to the decision because they're going to live there too. So anyway, it's been funny for me to be kind of a tag along in this process. You know, we all kind of walk through together and see all the rooms and everything. And then yeah, it's um, great because normally you take the kids exactly. elsewhere so I can actually talk to Michael. Exactly. And so like, we'll all see the stuff and they tend to follow me around when we go to these houses. Great. They follow me. And, and yeah, and I've several times been like, okay, they need to have a conversation right now. So the kids and I are going to go look at the downstairs again or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's, I feel like it's worked well, at least yeah, from my nice. standpoint. Thanks. Yeah. You're welcome. It takes a whole team here to get <laughs> this <great>. done. <laughs> <laughs> If I'm going to live there, I might as well pull my weight somehow. So. 
<laughs> now, Michael, I have a very serious question for you. Oh. So yes. Yes. Megan has said several times that she knows that you can't wait to get rid of her, but isn't she your favorite client ever? Like, be honest. <laughs> <laughs> he's, if you say be honest, he's going to say no. <laughs> <laughs> no, it has been a lot of fun working with Megan. There's no question. She has been a great client to work with in terms of communication and talked about offer strategies a little bit, you know, open to at least discussing different offer strategies. I think she's been really flexible in terms of what she has been able to do and is comfortable doing to strengthen her offers. And so while I'm excited to be able to deliver the great news that she's under contract and then see that through to a close and hand her the gift basket and all of that, <laughs> I'm not looking to get rid of her, as you put it. Okay. That's a well, very diplomatic answer. I'll <laughs> still send you legislative updates <laughs> when we're no longer working together. No, I appreciate that. <laughs> Yeah. For Michael, I'm like, let me tell you about my job. And here's some emails. And did you see this bill that was filed? That's good information. That's that just means that at some point when all this shit is over, you're gonna have to come over and have wine with us. Yeah. So. That would be great. Bring your girlfriend. That would be great. Be like, you are the chicks that he was spending so much time with. <laughs> <laughs> she can do our makeup. Yes. I'm sure she'd love that. <laughs> I was like, um, it's time to go. <laughs> Is there anything in particular you wanted to talk about, Michael? We'll be reviewing a couple of offers. Should we get into that right now on your podcast? This won't come out uh, until next week, so it'll be after the fact. That's okay. So. We can say. Ah, uh, okay. This is going to come out when the decision's already made. And you'll be under contract at the time. Hell yeah. <laughs> Positive we, thinking. We were hoping that would happen before the podcast. Yeah. Yeah, well. Okay, I have another question for you. How do you plan on like taking vacations and stuff? Like <laughs> say, I'm not asking if we can go. <laughs> Wait, so when Megan gets a house, you're going to give her a gift certificate for a trip that you're going to go on? It's going to be in the gift She's going to go with you guys? <laughs> that might be a little awkward. Eh. Yeah, sure. We're pretty fun though. That's right. Let's say that you had plans to go to Hawaii next week. Yes. And you had planned that vacation for like three months. Say I wanted to put an offer in on a house with the offer review date of next Tuesday, because Tuesday always seems to be the day. Yeah. I mean, what do you do in that situation? Do you just work while you're on vacation? Or I, I mean, because it seems like you're so beholden to whatever the schedule of the scenario is. How do you get away and break away from it? Yeah, the simple answer is no, I would just simply would not ever take a vacation. Well, don't do that. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I was like, oh are, no, are you fucking serious right now? <laughs> no, I, you know, it's simple is uh, I would just partner up with a different agent, mm. which I've done before and we've reciprocated. And when I'm planning a particular trip, then I would just have that agent essentially step in and kind of back me up. And then he knows that I have done and you know would do the same for him. And, you know, it's just about knowing other agents uh, that you can trust to serve your clientele to the same standard that you would. Just like if you're in a corporate job and you need to take a vacation and you've got some stuff that is not necessarily going to get done by others if you go away. And so you kind of have to figure out who to have as your backup when you are away. Unfortunately for Megan, it just all piles up. And when she gets back, she has 8 billion things to do. <laughs> Michelle has to hear about it all. It's okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, but yeah, I'm not giving up. 
like for every deal that I close at work, I'm not giving up a commission if someone steps in. And I'm not saying that you are. I was just curious. Yeah, yeah. Also, I found an article today. Michael, this is what I like to do when preparing for a podcast because I'm very professional. I never questioned that. (laughs) I'm glad to hear that. Thank you. Megan did. (laughs) I rejected it. So I found an article today that actually came out two days ago that talks about how as the supply decreases and the interest rates decrease and the market is crazy, that commissions also go down. It looks like a lot of that as a negotiating tactic on the seller's part, maybe, so that the agent can get that client. But it seems like things are kind of trending that way over time. And it talks about Redfin coming into the market a little bit. And then there was another article about how a startup in Austin, the real estate exchange just filed suit against Zillow. And the industry as a whole seems to be having some turmoil. Yes. Well, it seems like commission has become another negotiating point. Right. Yeah. Which I kind of feel like it's bullshit because you guys are working harder than ever right now. Like, how does it work when there's a listing and they say, this is the percentage we're willing to pay the buyer's agent? Do you write an offer and put your normal commission amount or what do you do? Yeah. So in terms of the trend, there's no question that you mentioned Redfin. I mean, Redfin has been certainly a big player that's contributed to that trend because of their low commission on listings. Now, of course, they still for the most part, offer the same selling office commission. So it's a little bit deceptive. A seller might think, oh, I'm only paying 1%. Well, yeah, but that's just the listing side. You're still also paying the full amount in most cases for the selling office. And if you don't, then a buyer's agent doesn't have to show a property that doesn't offer a selling office commission. It would basically be like asking buyer's agents to work for free, which they don't have to do. So No, no, they don't. And then to to your question, Megan, there are mechanisms to account for that situation, namely a buyer's agency agreement, where if, for example, there was a property listed where the selling office commission offered was only 1%, with the buyer's agency agreement, it enables the buyer's agent, me in this case, to actually include in the offer a request for the seller to kick in a higher percentage as part of the deal. The good news is, is that the vast majority of houses listed are offering like a two and a half, three percent selling office commission. So it's generally not an issue. That tends to be kind of the going rate. So it hasn't been an issue on the properties that we've looked at. I can't imagine an agent saying to a client, I'm not going to show you this house because the commission for me is too low. Well, why are they working though if they're not? Yes, it would create an uncomfortable situation for sure. But it also comes down to the fact that none of us would be expected to work for free or for a drastically reduced rate. You're not a non-for-profit? No, I'm not. I'm not a not-for-profit. If I were, I would have already solicited donations. Well, we keep trying to solicit donations of Prosecco and it hasn't worked yet. Yeah, we're also still soliciting a sponsor. Still available. That's right. Oh, what's the can? What's that that you're drinking now? This is sparkling water, the off-brand. Ah, okay. Don't worry. I still have wine as well. You have to be able to cheers at the end of this. You drink them together. Yeah, I like to hydrate. She's very responsible. I see. It's called being on the program. (laughs) I understand. (laughs) 
(laughs) So Michael, if you could tell people that are thinking about diving into this shit show of a market right now, anything, what would you (laughs) want them to know? I think you kind of made the point earlier on, which is find an agent that you trust, who is very professional, that knows what he or she is doing and communicates well, is diligent, has a high degree of integrity because you don't want to go through it without representation. It's well worth it to have representation. And so you should do that. If you don't have a good agent in this market, you don't stand a chance. Well, what you would be doing if you didn't and you wanted to make an offer on 123 Main Street is I guess you'd ask the listing agent to write it up and then you should know that they're representing the seller. So you could have a problem. Yeah, that wouldn't be in your best interest. No. No. Well, and what I don't think a lot of people realize is that technically it is the seller who is paying your agent. Unless it's written up differently in your purchase and sale agreement, typically the seller pays the real estate commission for both their agent and the buyer's agent. Mm -hmm. So why would you not work with an agent? Yeah, that's true. I do work with a lot of first-time buyers, and that's one of those things that is counterintuitive, but something that you know I always talk with first-time buyers about is, here are the things that I'm going to do for you as the buyer's agent, and I'm going to be representing you. And by the way, the vast majority of listings that we're going to see are going to offer a selling office commission, so you're not going to be paying anything to me. You're going to be paying, but of course, to your mortgage company. Right. But yeah, I don't think many people know that if they haven't gotten out there and tried to do this yet. Right. That's a good point. So if somebody is listening to this podcast and they think, I really like that guy's voice and he sounds like he knows what he's doing. (laughs) (laughs) And if he can put up with Megan, he can put up with me. Yes. Where might they be able to find you on social media or the internet or whatever? Where are you reachable at? I mean, I can give you my phone number, which is probably the simplest thing. If you're comfortable saying it on the podcast, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I think so. 206-931-5624. Or they can look me up on Zillow by my name, Michael M. Israel. Email Michael M. Israel, I-S-R-A-E-L, like the country, at kw.com. Perfect. And for those of you who don't know this, you can find us at Prosecco Theory on all the socials. Still not OnlyFans, though. We're still working on that one. Um, <laughs> Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We're online at ProseccoTheory.com. You can email us at cheers at ProseccoTheory.com. Michael, thank you so much for doing this. This was fun, and I've learned a lot. And the hope is that when this podcast comes out next week, I'm going to be under contract. Fuck yeah. Right? Absolutely. And, and thank you both very much. I appreciate the opportunity, and uh, it was a lot of fun. And yes, next week, or I guess I'll say now when this is actually out with any luck, you will be under contract. Take all the luck I can get. We will cheers to that. Well, this is new. It is. We've never done an epilogue before. We really haven't, but I think we have a very, very good reason to do one. It's important, I feel, for this episode. So the day after recording this episode... I got a house. Woohoo! I went under contract. Offer number 10. Michael, you're a rock star. Lucky number 10. Thank you so much. And of course, it had to be like super complex and weird. He couldn't just call me and be like, you're under contract. There was all this crummy crap he had to negotiate and he... Crummy crap. Crummy crap. <laughs> there was lots of crummy crap <laughs> to negotiate. 
And once again, he was up late at night trying to get it all done. So I'm sure he will be happy to be rid of me. But we finally made it happen. We're going to have to ease out of this relationship because we've spent so much time together. <laughs> he is going to miss you. I sure hope so. He's going to miss both of us. You That's w- right. You went on a lot of house showings with me. So yeah. anyway, highly recommend him. He is an ultimate badass professional professional. yep and michael i appreciate you so this cheers is for you cheers megan cheers michael congratulations thank you